You know, I'll just say that this has been uh, just one of my favorite seasons as a church. Uh, just looking at this past season we're in, we've come off this uh, great mission trip in June. We had a chance to go, our first mission trip as a church, and it was just beautiful and powerful and, and, and wonderful. Uh, then looking at the summer as we've studied the book of Colossians and, and as we've seen our, 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 our church, man, there's just a, man, it's a beautiful season we're in. There's a growth, there's a health to it, there's momentum uh, there's a spirit that God is just allowing to rest on here, where this past week I had the chance to meet with, with two different groups of people that are new to the church. They said, hey, one of the most amazing things is you walk into this church and there's just a, a spirit that is here, just, just a, of love, a, of acceptance, and, and, and that is so good for my soul as a pastor, just to be able to say, man, we are, man, we're there. This is exciting. The Lord is, is doing something in our midst. And I begin to think, well, okay, now we're heading into the fall. Like, how do we kind of build on this momentum? How do we build on the spirit the Lord has given us? And I think about it comes down to remembering who we are as a church. Remembering why we exist. So let me just say, how many of you actually know the mission of Restoration Church? All right. It's to know Christ and to make Christ known. That is why we exist as a church. That we, as a group of people, that we would come to know Christ. Uh, this is, uh, and then to make Christ known. This is taken out of Jesus' last words to the crowds. Jesus, before he was taken up to heaven, he said, Go into all the worlds and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. And so the first part of that is that we are to become disciples. And this is where I'm so thankful for the book of Colossians. Because, man, the God, God has just been doing so much good for my own soul in the book of Colossians on what it looks like for me to be a disciple. That I'm a guy who, who claims to be a Christian, who claims to love God, who claims to follow him. And it's been so good for the book of Colossians to help me understand, man, what does it look like for me to be a disciple? In fact, we've wrestled with this on, on how do we grow in our faith? Because culturally, religion would say you grow by your faith by obeying all the religious rules. You know, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go with girls who do. You know, you have all these rules you have to follow, and that makes you a good Christian. Or we say if you're a good Christian, you have all these religious experiences, and you have all these, these uh, supernatural things, and that shows that you are a mature Christian. And Paul in the book of Colossians has said something completely different. He said, if you are a uh, Christian, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you are growing in the Lord, then here's what it looks like. And this is where Colossians chapter 2 says that to, to grow in the Lord, to become a, a, a deeper disciple, to follow God, to be mature, is that we hold fast to Jesus Christ. That we dive in deeper and know him deeper. And that is what it looks like for us to be mature believers. And it plays itself out like this, is as we dive in deeper with him, man, that there's these old rags, these old ways of thinking, uh, these old patterns that we begin to set aside. All these selfish patterns that we think about ourselves and how to, how to please ourselves and make ourselves the center of attention. We begin to take those things and put those off. We get to put on some new characteristics. These selfless characteristics that are characterized by love. That out of love, as we grow in Christ, that we become uh, compassionate to the people around us. That we become kind. That we become humble, that we become gentle, that we uh, become forgiving. And these are the characteristics that, that, that define our maturity, that define, hey, I'm following Christ, and I'm growing in him, and here is what it looks like, that I begin to love people more than I love myself, and I become very selfless. 
And this has been so good for me. Just to wrestle with, man, what, is, what am I basing my maturity on? And we talked the last couple weeks about how that idea plays out into our relationships. How it deals with marriage, how it deals with our family, how it deals with our workplace. And how if we are growing in Christ, then it should have an evidence in those closest relationships to us. And this has been wonderful. But the second part of that mission... Okay, the first part, that's, that's where we know Christ. And I feel like Colossians has really hammered that. And this is what it looks like for us to know Christ. But the second part of that mission is just as important. That it's not enough for us ourselves just to be disciples. That we are called to go and make disciples of the people around us. This is where Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, You are salt and light. That we are, are salt of the earth. We are light on the earth. And that we're to go and and share our faith with the people around us and share who Jesus is. Now, in Christianity, we have a term for this. We call this evangelism. We call this witnessing. We call this sharing our faith. This is where we tell other people about Jesus. Now, I'll be honest. How many of you think that's a little intimidating? Just a little intimidating. Like, how do I share my faith with other people? Because sometimes we get these really skewed views of what it looks like for us to share our faith. Sometimes when we think about this, we think about that guy sitting on the street corner on the box with, that, with those picket signs and a bullhorn yelling at everybody. You're going to hell! And we think, is that what I got to do? Go be a street preacher? In fact, as I was trying to wrestle with my faith and, and come to faith in Christ, I thought, man, this is... This is what I'm to do. I'm supposed to know Christ. I'm supposed to grow in him. I'm supposed to share my faith with other people. And so the church that I first got saved at, they had a guy that said, hey, if you're going to share your faith, this is what you have to do. You have to go knocking on doors. Just randomly knocking on doors and say, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. And I'm like, well, I guess that's what I have to do. That was the worst thing ever. Like, like for, for me, like maybe some of you, that's your, that's your passion. But for me, like that was so intimidating. Because sometimes people had really big dogs and, and, and they leave, release the dogs on you. And, and don't wear a white shirt and a tie when you do this. It doesn't go well for you. And so, and so I tried this and I'm like, man, I'm horrible at this. This isn't, I, maybe I can't do this sharing my faith thing. Then I, I grew a little bit in Christ and, and, and was getting ready where, where I, was, I was asked to plant this church. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to be a, I'm gonna be a pastor. This is cool. I began thinking about, well, who are the successful pastors around me? And there was a, a pastor friend of mine. And I remember I walked into the bank. I walked into the bank. And no doubt this pastor had talked to the teller and was praying with the teller. Like, like, like let me pray with you right now. And I'm like, wow. Like, maybe that's what it looks like for me to share my faith. And so I said, man, man I'm going to go do this. I'm going to share my faith just like him. And so I went to the pizza place. And I'm ordering my pizza. And I'm like, man. This is my opportunity. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm I'm to connect with this gal. And I'm looking at her like, how do I talk to her? And I'm like, well, I noticed she had this little, like, like belly. And I'm like, oh, so what did you do? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> oh, no, she wasn't. She was not pregnant. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, crap. And I'm like, your name is uh, Eloisa, right? And she goes, no, it's not. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong person. I'm sorry, my bad, my bad. And I was like, man, what does that look like for me to share my faith? Like, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to, to follow it. Man, I, I, sometimes it is really a struggle. Somewhere along the way, we had this idea that sharing our faith becomes uh, some sort of method. 
becomes a, a process, a system that we have to learn. And just because someone does this, well, that's what I have to learn how to do this. And so what we've done is we've tried to take uh, this idea of sharing our faith and make it into a 13-week training. You know, where you have to memorize all the Bible verses, the Romans road. You have to have it all memorized. You have to memorize that special prayer, you know, and you have to make the person pray this prayer word for word. And then you have to know all the arguments, right? So if anybody has any question, you have to be able to answer it. So, you know, what's the difference between Muslim and Hindu and New Age and Catholic and Mormon? You've got to be able to answer those questions. And if someone brings up, you know, creation versus evolution and, and dinosaurs and, and carbon dating, like, ah! And somehow we've had this idea that if I'm going to share my faith, I have to do all of this and have all those answers and have it all figured out. And honestly, there's times when it's just like, man... It's easier if I say that's for somebody else and not for me. It's easier for me to say, well, that sounds too difficult, and I'm not very good at it. So it's easier for me to say that is someone else's job and not mine. And so what we do is we expect the church to do it for us. And so we expect the church to do outreach events where the church will draw people in and and, and share the gospel. And we expect, well, that's evangelism. I've done it. I'm doing my part. The reality is there's no way for us to get around what Jesus calls of us. That he says to every one of us, if we claim to be a Christian, if we claim to have a relationship with God, he calls every one of us salt of the world. He calls us to be a light into the world. We can't get around it. That we have a faith that is on display for the world to see. That we would go to all nations, let alone we would go to our neighborhood. We would go to our school. We would go to our workplace and begin to share our faith and begin to make disciples. And this isn't just for the pastors and the leaders and those people who are really good at it. It is for every one of us in this room. So what I want to do today is I don't know your background with with, with this idea of sharing your faith, of talking about God, but I, I want to hopefully remove a little bit of the anxiety and a little bit of the fear that goes with how we live our faith and how we share it with other people. Because when we look at what Scripture is doing, it's really simple what Paul asks us to do. Because truthfully, here's, here's something I want you to understand is, is truth alone won't necessarily convince somebody that they need a relationship with God. Okay, let, let, let me explain it like this. Let's just do a little survey, okay? Let's just do a little survey. I'm going to ask you in just a second, like, like how many of you You came to church, you became a Christian because you were influenced by somebody, because there was an ongoing relationship with somebody. It might be a friend, it might be a family member, a co-worker, it might be the home you were born and raised into, that you had parents who raised you this way. But how many of you came to faith, came to church because someone came into your life and you had a relationship with them, at some point you considered in the middle of that relationship the truth of who God was in part because of that relationship. Think about that. How many of us in this room have come to faith because of a relationship? Now, when we do the survey, it's okay if you don't raise your hand because there's, uh, ultimately there, there's different ways that we become a Christian. But, but I want to do this. If the reason that you are at, in church The reason that you were following God is because of a relationship. I want you to just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Now, I want you to look around at all the hands that are raised right now. Like, isn't that awesome? Isn't that, like, awesome to think about that? 
It's not wrong for us to have a formula or a method of how we share our faith. I mean, those are tools. Those are, those are methods that God gives us to be helpful to us. But we have to recognize how powerful just a simple relationship is of caring about another person, of being able to speak into their life, being able to say, hey, I know a God, and here's how God has changed my life, and I think he can do the same for you. So Bible, uh, we've been in the book of Colossians for the past couple of uh, couple weeks. I guess it's been two months now, and uh, we're going to be close to finishing it today, Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to see this morning three keys to sharing our faith, three ways that we do this. The first way that Paul's going to tell on how we share our faith is that we pray. That if we're going to share our faith, it takes some sort of spiritual preparation. And I know you just said, well, pastor, it's not a method, and it's not a method. But I want you to see uh, here what, what Paul says. He says in verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. That we are in prayer. Now again, it's, it's not surprising that Paul says this. It's not surprising that he says, continue steadfast in prayer. Because that is all throughout scripture. In Romans 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, Philippians 4, Ephesians 6, all over. You have this idea that we are to continually be in prayer. That we continually be in prayer. Listen, that is not that we're always verbally talking to God. Because oftentimes if, that's, if you do that, like there's special places for you to go. There's special places, special homes and hospitals that they place, people like that. But when it says that we continually are in prayer with God, it means that we have a mind that is continually thinking and drifting back towards God. That we're mindful throughout the day. That our mind is always there in a moment, in an instant, thinking about God and willing to seek Him in whatever place we are. I, I like the picture of this. I read this in one of the commentaries this week. He said, picture a boat that is tied up at the dock. The boat is all gassed up. The boat has a tube inflated. The boat has everything, has the life jackets on. And in any moment, that, that boat is ready to go. That is what it looks like for us to be continuing steadfast in prayer. That we are, our mind is constantly prepared and thinking and drifting back. And he says, I want you to, to continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And this is where thanksgiving, it's important that we pray with thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving is something that will build our faith. Thanksgiving is basically the, the, the memory of God's grace put into words. It's the memory of God's grace put into words. And listen, listen, if gratitude is a part of your faith, if gratitude is a daily part of your prayer to God, if it permeates your prayer life, you don't have to lose hope when difficulties come. You don't have to live in fear that he will abandon you in your time of need because when you live in gratitude, you are constantly reminding yourself of the faithfulness of God. Constantly reminding yourself, yeah, yeah, that's right. God, God takes care of this sort of thing. God has continued to provide for me. I continue to find reasons to thank him. And that's a reminder to me today that no matter what I'm going on, God will meet me there and he will not abandon me in my time of need. And so he says, I want you to continue steadfast in prayer. And here's, here's the key. He's going to tell us exactly what to pray for. Verse 3. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us. That God may open us uh, a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of that which I am in prison. Verse 4. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You know what's crazy? The Apostle Paul. He's a guy who planted churches all across the known world. Okay, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a third of the New Testament. He speaks Bible. 
And notice what he just said. He said, hey, you Colossians, you new believers, I want you to, to pray for me. And do you hear the things he said pray for me for? Number one, he said pray for open doors. We are to pray for open doors. The reality is that there's people all around you, people all over our city, people in your workplace, kids in your school, people in your neighborhood, all around you. People in Ben's Bridge group, people in in whatever mom groups you're in, whatever neighborhood you're in, whatever it is, there are people who don't know God. And and, and Paul, the example is that we are to pray for open doors. You know what an open door is? You know how we all pretend that we have it all figured out? You know how we all pretend like life is all good and everything's happy and we have this facade so everybody thinks, oh, look how great you are. An open door is when there's a crack in that facade. When something begins to struggle. When things aren't all as they're supposed to be. When we can't fake it anymore. Where as hard as we try and fake, look, look, look how great I am. I have everything figured out. I have the great marriage, the great kids, the great job. And when things begin to struggle, when things don't go the way that you pretend they are going, that is a crack in the door. That is an open door that God has given you. When relationships, when there's an issue in a relationship, when there's a, a financial issue, when, when, when someone says, man, here's what's happening at home, here's what's happening with my kids, when people are talking about, man, I, I, I don't even know what to do politically in our day and age today, and I've got this anxiety, and I've got this anxiety and stress, and when something just comes out of a person's mouth, that is an open door from God for us to be able to speak into that, for us to be able to say, let me tell you about my God and how my God has, has worked in my life. In fact, there's a, a guy by the name of Jeff Eorg, who's uh, president of the Golden Gate uh, uh, Seminary down in San Francisco. And I love this. I wrote this down a number of years ago. And he said, you want to know what an open door is? Here's the things that you look for. When you're in a relationship with someone, you don't, if you're going to share your faith, you don't have to be the guy that just knocks on the door and is like, hey, you need Jesus. Like some of you, that's your gift, and I love you. And some of you, you're like me. It's not, you just make it awkward, right? And so what he said is, is you are in a relationship with a person, and you're just in a relationship. You're hanging out with them, drinking coffee with them, having barbecues with them, and you're looking for one of these cracks. You're looking for something to happen. And here's, here's the four things that happen in everybody's life. Things break, people die, relationships struggle, and health fails. That when you just have a relationship with somebody, And all of a sudden they start talking about, man, I've got these, man, my kids are driving me crazy. That's a relationship struggle. That is an open door that God has given you to be able to speak truth into that. Somebody begins to say, well, you know, know, all these things, everything's just falling apart. Man, that's an opportunity for you to speak the truth of God into their life through that relationship. Oh, well, you know, uh, my my grandma's got cancer and she's going to die. And that becomes an opportunity for you to speak the truth into that relationship. That we pray for an open door. We look for these cracks in the facade where things break and people die, relationships struggles, and health fails. And we pray, Lord, with those relationships, would you give me an open door? Would you give me an open door to speak into this? Second thing, Paul says, first pray for an open door. And second thing, he says, pray for clarity. And I love this, again, because here's Paul who speaks Bible. Here's Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, and he says, hey, hey, Paul's the guy, 
Paul's the guy who goes into Athens. And Athens in that day was full of these Stoic philosophers who are so smart. And, and, and all, you know, I have this idea of British because they always come across as being Stoic and stuck up, you know. And so I just have this idea, you know, that there's these Stoic philosophers. They're so wonderful. And Paul's the guy who walks in and speaks and some of those guys get saved. Like that's who Paul is. And here's what Paul says. He says, pray for me that I would have clarity. Pray for me that I would have clarity. And see, I think this is what made Paul so successful. I think this is what made Paul so amazing is that these are the things he said, pray for me. He said, pray for open doors and pray for clarity. Pray that what I say makes sense. Pray that I can put two cohesive sentences together. This is what Paul prays for. Say, well, you know, clarity, he asked for clarity. Clarity and what do I say? And here's where I want you to understand again. Uh, in, in the book of Acts chapter 1, uh, right before Jesus is carried up into heaven after his resurrection. Acts, this is what Jesus says. Acts 1, he says, uh, Jesus calls us his witnesses. He says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? What does it, when you're called into court and you give, give, give testimony, what does a witness do? They give testimony of what they've experienced. They share their story. They say, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. They don't get to say, well, here's what my pastor said. Well, here's, no, no, they have to only share what they've experienced themselves. And Paul is praying for clarity and saying, give me clarity in sharing my story. I don't have to come up with something crazy. I don't have to come up with the Romans road and, and, and 13 steps to evangelism and the exact prayer to get people to pray this, this word for word prayer. no. He's asking for clarity in their story, in their personal testimony. Do you know, can you describe your personal testimony? The story of how God broke into your life? Like, like what does your story look like? Here's my story. Okay, here's my story. My story is my adoptive parents, or my biological parents. My dad went to prison when I was six months old. And my mom said, I can't raise these kids. And they put us into the foster system. They gave up on us kids. So I've got these wounds from this, this biological parents that I'd never met. Biological parents that I found years later, they both never got their life right. And I've got these wounds because I'm like, I look at my little babies, like how could you not love those things? And so, so I get put in the foster system, I get adopted a number of years later, and I've got a good family. And then when I'm nine years old, my dad and I are watching The Price is Right, and he has a heart attack in our living room and passes away in our living room. And so I've got these two big rocks in my story that have affected me. Where since that day, you know what I long for? I long for approval. I long for somebody to say, hey, Kevin, you're good enough. Hey, Kevin, I love you just the way you are. Kevin, you... And so I've had this longing, and so my whole life has been me trying to earn people's approval. I want people to like me. I want people to affirm me. I want people to say, Kevin, you're good enough. And so I have found my life selling myself away, trying to make people happy, trying to get people to like me, to try and fill this void that's deep inside of me. That's my story. And let me tell you what, here's how God came into that story. Here's how I met God. And here's how he began to satisfy those longings of my heart. Here's how God came to me and said, in the middle of your brokenness, Kevin, I have this unconditional acceptance for you. I have this unconditional love for you. 
And that's the grace of God in my life. And that's when I began to understand the way that God feels about me, that my life begins to take a change. That no longer do I have to try and make everybody happy with me. I don't have to try and and earn your love and acceptance because it's given to me in God. It's given to me in Jesus. And that's where I've experienced healing. That's where I have experienced grace. Here's the purpose I have found in my life. That's my story. What is your story? And how has God navigated through your story to show up to the place that you finally came to place your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have clarity in your story? I mean, Scripture is good and powerful, but there is a simplicity. There's a simplicity when I can tell you my story, when I can share my faith of how God has worked in my life and how God has shaped my story. And we ought to be praying, God, give me clarity when I share my story. Give me clarity to say, this is how God navigated my brokenness. This is how God navigated these things. You know what's crazy about this? He says, pray for open doors and pray for clarity. And when God opens the door and we have a little bit of clarity and we can share our story, you know what I'm humbled by? Like sometimes I feel like, again, this is where uh, the stigma of evangelism. I feel like there's that guy who's always like, man, I'm going to make everybody pray the prayer with me. Right now, pray the prayer with me. And I feel like sometimes like, man, I just, I'm not the best at, at closing the deal, right? But you know what's great about God? This is not my job to save people. It's freeing to recognize that. Do you know it's not your job to save people? In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a story in 1 Corinthians where there's all these Christians. And they're like, well, you know, the apostle Paul, he shared the gospel with me. And no, for me it was Apollos. And there's all these different people who share the gospel with them. And they're like, well, I belong to Paul and I belong to Apollos. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you have believed. And each has a role that the Lord has given them. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See, it's not our job to save people. It's God's job to save people, not ours. And I think this is maybe one of the most freeing things for me in being able to share my faith. Where it's not my job to save someone. It's not my job to close the door. It's my job to share my story. God does the heavy lifting. God is the one who's going to draw someone's heart where they will place their faith in him. It's God's job to do that. That in spite of my brokenness, God delights in using people like you and I to be a part of what he's doing in people's lives. That despite the idea that he doesn't need us to do it, he chooses to work through us to allow us to be a part of changing lives. I know sometimes we get really big-headed we're like, well, these are the people that I am reaching for Jesus. These, these, are, the, these are the people uh, that, that I've shared my faith with, and this is what I've done for God, you know, because God needs me, because after all, you know, I am Kevin Diaz. Of course God needs me on his team. And God's up there saying, man, Kevin, you have no clue what I'm doing. God's saying, you know, there was a time, Kevin, that I used a donkey, that I used a donkey, and I spoke through a donkey to some people. Kevin, I don't need you. I don't need you. But I, in spite of that, God allows us. And he delights in using us to accomplish what God has already set out to do. It's a simple process. 
Listen, God knows the people around you. God knows the people in your life. He knows the people you go to school with. He knows the people you work with. He knows your neighbors. He knows, your fa- he knows who you have a relationship with. He knows those people. He knows which ones are hungry for him and which ones aren't. And our job is that we pray, God, would you give me an open door? God, I've got this person. They're on my heart. God, would you give me an open door? God, would you give me clarity? Would you give me clarity? Would you allow me to make sense when I share with them? I think, God, would you save them? God, would you do the heavy lifting? God, I'll share my faith. God, would you seal the deal? Begin to say, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? How do, how do I do that? Again, here, here's great because Paul's going to tell us here's how you do it. Number two, he says, be wise towards outsiders. Verse five. This is what Paul says. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. I wonder where I got that point from. (laughs) Imagine that. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We see this term outsider, and we kind of, I want to clarify, like like being an outsider is not a negative thing, right? I mean, unfortunately, we live live in a world that categorizes people in all sorts of dumb ways. We categorize people uh, based on their race, on their language, on, on the borders, on their financial status. We, we categorize people because of their political persuasion. But in God's eyes, there's only two categories of people. There are those who know God, and there are those who don't. There are those who are in with God, and there are those on the outside. And if those are on the outside, listen, we don't look down on those people. We don't shun those people. Paul actually assumes that we have a relationship with the people who don't know God. That's this weird thing where, I don't know where this idea of a Christian bubble came from, but we have these, these, some of us in here, we have these Christian bubbles where where we say, well, I'm only going to have this circle around me and I'm only going to have Christian people in my circle. And so, you know, I've got, uh, uh, you know, I've got my Christian... Christian home, I've got my Christian friends, I've got my Christian school, I've got my Christian TV, I've got my Christian music, I've got my Christian literature, because I'm afraid that maybe the world would rub off on me. And Paul, Paul doesn't tell us to have relationships with outsiders, he assumes we do. He assumes that we have relationships with outsiders. And here's the difference though, Here, here's what he's going to say, is that it's going to require an intentional relationship. That when we have a relationship with an outsider, that it is an intentional relationship. It is a relationship with a purpose. There's a reason behind that relationship. That we are put in that place. We're put in that sphere of influence. We're put in that relationship so we can help that person take one step closer to coming to know who God is. Listen, do you know the people around you who don't know God? Can you think about the people in your life, the people in your circle that do not have a relationship with Jesus? Because you've got to learn to be intentional with them. You've got to learn to go out of your way, to love them, to serve them, to be gracious with them, to earn a right to be heard. So that when the opportunity knocks, when the door begins to creak open, when when one of those things happen, when, when, when the facade begins to fall down and there's a crack, that you are ready to give an answer, ready to to speak with clarity. That when there's a question in life, when someone begins to wonder, man, man, my marriage is struggling, that you can speak in and say, man, this is how God has helped our marriage. This is how having God in our marriage has shaped us and influenced us and healed some of those broken parts. 
And you know the very least thing that you can do? When you have that intentional relationship, they're like, man, everything's falling apart. The very least thing you do is, hey, you know, I go to this place on Sundays. You should come and see. Come and check it out. Come and see for yourself. It's made an impact on me. Come and see. You know what it doesn't say? This text doesn't say that you have these intentional relationships and you go out and preach to them. Right? Because some of us Christians, we're really good at preaching at people. We're really good at backing people into a corner and really telling them, hey, you're really bad. You need to know Jesus. No, what Paul says is that we need to be ready to give an answer as to why we are different. Now this, in our marriage, this is why I serve my wife. This is why I sacrifice for my wife. This is why I, I relate to my kids in this specific way. This is why I work the way that I do. So that when someone begins to wonder, hey, why are you different than me? I am ready to give an answer. This is where Paul said, if you are a Christian, what are your characteristics that describe you? Love, gentleness, compassion, humility, forgiveness. When you actually live those things out, do you know that's, that, that's, that's like, to the world it's crazy. Like, why would you live this way? Well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Our life should create questions, not conflict. Our mission in the world is to create questions, not conflict. This is where the Bible says we are salt and light so that we are ready to, to give answers, not that we would be abrasive, not that we'd be the guy sitting on the street corner telling everybody, hey, you're going to hell. And I know there are some of us, like we, like we gear up for arguments. We're like, bring it on. I hope someone brings up the creation issue. Like, bring it on. I'm ready for you. Play the politics card because I'm ready to blast you and tell you exactly why you're wrong and why I'm right. When we argue, when we create conflict, no longer is about loving. How quickly it becomes about winning arguments. About why I'm right and you're wrong. We are to be people that are about grace and love, not winning arguments, not proving that we're right. We are people that are about grace and love. This is consistent throughout the entire Bible, that we are a people defined by grace and love, that if we're truly following Jesus, that, that our faith and our life is defined by love and compassion and kindness and humility and forgiveness, and that is not normal. The world around you will begin to say, why are you living like this? Why are you being compassionate when I don't deserve it? Why are you forgiving me when I haven't apologized? The world begins to say, why are you different? And that's when Paul says we are ready to give an answer. We've prayed for an open door. We've prayed for clarity. And let me tell you why. The difference that God has made in my life. Somebody would say to you, well, why would, what kind of church would accept a person like you? <laughs> Come and see. Come and see. Third way we're going to do this if we're going to share our faith is we have to allow, we have to redeem our speech to reveal our faith. Do you know that your speech will give you away? The way that you speak will give you away. How do you create questions? I mean, if our life is supposed to create questions, not conflict, how do you create questions? How will people know the difference in your life? Let me tell you what, it's not going to be by getting the Christian t-shirt. It's not going to be by putting the bumper sticker on the back of your car. 
It's going to be by the way that you talk. In fact, there's a story in Matthew chapter 26 that, that tells this idea. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has been arrested, right? And Peter, he's kind of like, man, Jesus is arrested. i got to see what happens. And so Peter follows along as Jesus is being brought to, to trial. And as Peter's following along, there's a young girl that comes up and says, hey, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers, right? Peter's like, no, I'm not. Nope. And then the crowd comes up and says, no, 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 no. We heard the way that you talk. You sound like one of them. You sound like them. You're one of them. And Jesus and Peter says, no, no, I'm not. And finally, they're like, no, no. Man, the way that you talk, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. Remember what Peter does? He swears and he curses. I don't know Jesus. And at that moment, he proved his point. Our words have tremendous power and reveal what's going on inside of us. What do your words say about you? What are the jokes that you share and the jokes that you laugh at? What do they say about you? Like, I'll be honest. Like, like I get around some, some, some guys and I'm like, man, you know, some of that language isn't that bad. You know, I guess I can, you know, make me a little bit more salty, make me a little bit more relevant, right, to throw some of these things out there. What do your words say about you? James chapter 3 says that with our tongues we praise the Lord and one moment, and the next moment we curse men who are made in the image of God. That with these same tongues that we will come to church and we will sing our wonderful praise songs to God. And then the next moment that we extend curses to the people around us. Paul says that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. James says that's not the way it's supposed to be. He said how can fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? Can a, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear fig trees? No. And if we are following Christ, if we have this relationship with him, if we are a Christian, we claim to be a Christian, that our speech should be different. Our speech should reveal that there's something different about us than everyone else. That our speech becomes the telltale times, telltale way that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does your speech say about you? Paul said this, in Colossians, back in Colossians, he says, verse 6, he said, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. That is the way our words are supposed to be. Gracious and seasoned with salt. Let me say this, our words should offer grace, not judgment. Your words should offer grace and not judgment. You know, what's really sad is the Christian community as a whole, are we known for grace? Or are we known for judgment? What are we known for? Paul says you're to be known by being gracious. That we are to be gracious. That we give love that is unexpected. We give love that is undeserved. We give grace. And that's how we speak. I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, Kevin, the Bible talks about judging. The Bible talks about judging, so it's okay for me to judge. Actually, the Bible talks about us judging those inside the body of Christ. Those that are already Christians, he never gives us permission to judge people outside of the body of Christ. Never does he do that. To outsiders, we give love and grace. To outsiders, 
that we are to love the way that Jesus loved. When Jesus, when he went around and he loved the lost people and the blind people and the hurting people and the sick people and the demon-possessed people and the pimps and the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the tax collectors, Jesus loved those people. He didn't judge them. He didn't say, you're going to hell. He loved them and waded into their story to, to show them value. That there would be an open door that he could then give an answer and speak truth into. His words were seasoned with graciousness and love. And we don't be people that go out to preach and tell everybody how wrong they are. We don't go out to judge them. But as a Christian community, we allow our words to speak grace and love to the people around us. And you know what that means? For me, that I've got some people in my life, I've got some friends that I don't agree with the decisions they make. I don't agree with their lifestyle. I don't agree with how they live. And I have to learn how to bite my tongue. I have to learn how to, to bite my tongue and pray that God would give me an open door. Pray that God would give me the open door where I could speak life into them. That I'm called in this season to walk alongside them in love, to serve, to give grace, to, to meet needs. And the moment that they, the door is opened, and they need an answer, I'm going to have an opportunity to give an answer and not an argument. That my conversation is to be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that we create questions and not conflict. So here's where it comes to you. Question you need to ask yourself. Does your life point to a reason? Does your life point to a reason why you are different? Because living a great life, it just isn't enough. Your best life now isn't enough. You have to ask yourself, why am I different? Is it because of my political party? Is it because I'm a goody two-shoes? Or is it because Jesus said, I am a light to the world, and light illuminates darkness? So I've chosen not just to live a good life, I've chosen to be a light. I've chosen to be different. Does your life point to a reason of having God in your life and the reason you are different? You ready to give an answer to that? Second question I want you to ask yourself this morning. Who are you sharing your faith with? Who is it? Where is it that you are building intentional relationships? Who is it that you are actually praying for? Who are you praying to say, God, would you give me an open door with this person? Would you give me clarity when that happens so I can talk to them about how God makes a difference? that they would look and say, because of my relationship with God, that I can look and say, man, this person, man, their life is beginning to change and they're beginning to see things different because I've lived a life that has been different. And I've been willing to share with clarity who God is. This, is, isn't, this isn't just for leaders to do. Every one of us are called to be salt and light, to make disciples you're sitting there looking at your life and saying, man, I, I don't really know. I don't really know if I have anybody. Man, maybe today you need to start praying. Praying for someone that God would give you an open door. 
praying for an intentional relationship that you can pursue somebody and love them, waiting for the opportunity for God to open the door, that you would serve and love and be ready to give an answer to invite. That's where I come back to our church, how excited I am to be a part of this. Listen, as I start thinking about where we're going this fall, start thinking about all the things that God can do. Man, for us to change the world, it's not because of a church program. It's not because of good preaching. It's not because of good music. It's not because of a welcoming atmosphere. It's because we as Christians, we take our calling from God serious. That we are called to know Christ, to grow deeper with Him, to grow deeper in love with Him, and we're going to do that. And we're called to make Christ known. That God has placed us in our workplace. That God has placed you in your school. That God has placed you in your neighborhood so you can build some relationships and tell people about the God who has changed your life. Invite them to come and hear and come and see. And pray that perhaps God would close the door that God would seal the deal and they would give their lives to God and be changed for eternity. Let me pray for us.